This afternoon's reading comes from Genesis chapter 40. We will be reading the entire chapter. Uh, as the title states, it's uh, part of the uh, part of the Bible that uh, talks about uh, Joseph being in being in Egypt. And we pick it up from verse one of chapter forty. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offence against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in, the mas in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams, and there is no one to inter interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell me, please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is, this, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention to me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw the, um, saw the interpretation was favourable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So far God's word. Thank you, William. Our second reading is from Luke, chapter 23, starting at verse 26. 
through to verse 49. So Luke 23, verse 26. And it's headed here, the crucifixion. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people, and of women, who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? <clears throat> to others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So far the reading. The sermon that I'm privileged to read to you this afternoon is prepared by the Reverend Andrew de Vries and is entitled, The Forgotten Man. Now, I'm not sure if you remember, but this is a series on Joseph. And the first out of five, and this being the fifth sermon in that series, I started the series 
at this property about three, three and a half years ago. And it's amazing how God works because this fifth sermon fits in very well with the message from this morning that Dan was reading. And um, just to give you a quick recap on the first sermons, the first sermon was on chapter 37, the first 11 verses. And we looked at how God works through dysfunctional families and how God loves all of his children the same as he gave them all his son, Jesus Christ. God does not do favorites. The second sermon was on a chapter 37, the verses 12 to 36, where we looked at God's praiseworthy providence, realizing that his purposes for our lives are far more grander and far more glorious than our own, namely, to conform us to the likeness of his Son, Jesus Christ. The third sermon was on chapter 38, where we saw that God's grace is for sinners, sinners like you and me, and showed us that there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. The fourth sermon was on chapter 39, where we saw that God is with us, even if it feels like that is not the case. Today, we look at the fifth in this series, and we look at the comfort-giving fact that even if it looks like God has forgotten us, he most certainly has not. We might forget God, but God does not forget his people. We have three points. The first one, we will see that Joseph is not forgotten through God's gracious providences. The second, we see that Joseph is not forgotten through the fulfillment of the dreams. And thirdly, we see that Joseph is not forgotten by God, even though men forget him. So, Genesis 40, the forgotten men. I was about 12 years old. My brother and I played hockey early one Saturday morning. And as the older grades came to play, my brother and I were waiting for mum to pick us up. And waiting. And waiting. Half an hour passed. No parents. One hour passed. Still, no parents. No mobile phones in those days. And nor was there a phone box where we could go and make a call. And all kinds of thoughts go through your mind. Primarily, I can't believe mum and dad forgot me. I won't ask anyone who's been forgotten by mum and dad to put their hands up, as I don't want to embarrass them. But it's not a pleasant experience to be forgotten. Well, that's what it looks like here for Joseph. Forgotten, not just by his brothers, who try to rid themselves of daddy's favorite, but forgotten by God. Here he is, in a stinking prison. And not because he'd done something wrong, but because he sought to honor God, because he'd been faithful, and now he is in a pit, and he's waiting on God to remember his promise. You'll recall God's promise to Joseph through his dreams. God's promise to Joseph was that he would be exalted to a position of great power. It was going to be a position of such immense authority that even his brothers and parents would come and bow before him. But there is no one bowing before him here in prison. He's waiting, and waiting, and waiting, seemingly 
forgotten by God. Is that not an experience many of us can relate to? We pray earnestly for something we need, and yet it seems as if God is too busy answering the prayers of important people. We are forgotten. A sickness or chronic illness drags on, and you look to the Lord for just a moment of relief, but it never comes. We are forgotten. The temptation you are struggling with never eases up, even though you ask God for help. We are forgotten. Well, this narrative shows us that God, Joseph has not been forgotten. We're going to look at the glimpses of hope this chapter gives us, that God has not forgotten his servant Joseph. And in that, we'll be reminded that God does not forget us. So firstly, we see that Joseph is not forgotten through God's gracious providence. The chapter begins with the words, sometime later. So, it's sometime after Joseph was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and unjustly imprisoned. It might have been months. It could have been years. We'll recall that Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. He is 30 when he finally gets out of jail. And that's not going to be for another two years from this story. So in total, Joseph has been in the service of Potiphar and then in jail for around 10 years. That's a long time to be waiting for God to come through on his promises. That's a long time to get bitter and twisted about what God is doing in your life. That's a long time to reflect on the whole God has a wonderful plan for my life theology. But I want you to notice the theological lens we have to read this story through. The Lord is with Joseph in prison. So chapter 39 tells us, The Lord had not abandoned his servant Joseph. His covenant love for him had not changed. And we see that God is with Joseph in two particular providences that the Lord brings into his life. Firstly, Joseph gets to look after two high-profile prisoners. You can imagine the excitement in the prison when the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, two pharaoh, have been brought into the prison. These guys weren't just your ordinary household servants. They aren't just waiters and cooks. Because these men brought the food for the pharaoh, he had to trust them with his life. As a result, these officials were often wealthy and very influential. They served as the king's advisors and confidants. They had some real clout in the palace. And in an attempted coup, an assassination attempt, these guys could be really handy. But here they are, not, bearing, not being very useful at all. They are in jail. There would have been quite a stir at the prison. The NIV and the ESV say that Pharaoh was angry with these guys. So did the baker serve some burnt bread? Did the cupbearer give some Chateau Le Carbord? No. Verse 1 literally says that they sinned against Pharaoh. These men were in prison not because Pharaoh felt bad towards them, 
but they had done something wrong, and they are in custody until Pharaoh has to work out the appropriate punishment. But who is looking after them? Joseph. Joseph is now going to be mixing it with the powerful and the influential. It's a glimmer of hope that God has not forgotten his servant. And then notice secondly, who assigned Joseph to look after these high-profile prisoners? Verse 4 says, the captain of the guard. Do you know that we've already met the captain of the guard in the book of Genesis? Turn back to Genesis 39 verse 1, where it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. So it's Potiphar himself who hands the high-profile prisoners over to Joseph. This is what convinces me that Potiphar knew Joseph was an innocent man. You don't give a man who tried to sexually assault your wife a job like this. This is one of God's kind providences to Joseph. Hope is building for Joseph. Exhortation might be just around the corner. God has not forgotten his men. And also notice Joseph's attitude through all this. When the prisoners he's looking after are downcast one day, Joseph notices. He isn't so caught up in his own troubles that he couldn't care about others. That's what often happens to us, isn't it? When things are bad for us, we turn inward. Our own troubles and burdens squeeze the care of others out of our hearts. But what the gospel does to us is it frees us from our self-intoxication. It tells us of the God-man Jesus Christ, who, when he was burdened by eternal troubles of the cross, that he was inexplicably marching towards, he wasn't caught up in his own troubles. But he ministered to his fearful disciples, calming their fears in the upper room. Even when he was arrested, he looked outside himself to heal the high priest's servant's ear. Even upon the cross, he wasn't so caught up in his own agony that he could not look after his mother, but rather he entrusted her in the care of John. Even as he was crucified, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Christ wants to make us more like himself, so that even in our trials, our times that we will feel forgotten, we can look outside ourselves and have an interest in the welfare of others. That brings us to number two where we see that Joseph is not forgotten through the fulfillment of the dreams. Dreams are unusual things, aren't they? Sometimes you dream of wonderful things that you don't really are able to do in reality. In your dreams anything's possible. Sometimes you dream of people you haven't seen in ages and you think, whoa, where did that come from? Some dreams conjure up intense emotions that carry with you through the day. Still today, researchers struggle to work out why we actually dream. What's the point of it all? Well, in Egyptian society, 
there was no real struggle to work out what dreams were for. Everyone there believed that dreams were the way the gods spoke to you. Dreams were the way the gods communicated their desires, their will, and in particular, their future plans for your life. And there was a whole industry geared to interpreting dreams for you. There were books, there were amateur dream interpreters, and of course, there were the professionals who would give you their interpretation if you would give up a few shekels for them. So, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker both just happen to have dreams on the same night. They want these dreams interpreted, of course. But you don't get those kinds of dream interpretation services when you are in prison. What are they to do? Well, Joseph is Johnny on the spot to interpret the dreams for them. He states, verse 8b, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. This is not so much an offer as it is a theological statement. These Egyptian men thought they could consult a book or some wise person who could kind of guess what it meant. Joseph tells them there is only one dream interpreter, God himself. Only God can show the true meaning of a dream, because only God himself knows the future. He doesn't guess at it like the Egyptian dream interpreters do, like the future tellers of our day guess at things. He knows the future. He plans the future. He controls the future. Only he can give a true interpretation of the dreams. Now is it not interesting that this is the same theological truth that Daniel gives the king, Nebuchadnezzar? Only God can interpret dreams and reveal their mysteries. And so, the cupbearer gives his dream first. And in Joseph's interpretation, in verse 13, Joseph tells him that Pharaoh will lift up his head in three days' time. To lift up can mean to be exalted and restored. We talk about a person holding their head high. That's the idea. Then, encouraged by the good news for the cupbearer, the baker goes second. But he gets bad news. In verse 19, the same phrase is used again. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. But this time, it's a literal lifting up of the head. He's going to die. Notice that here, Joseph is functioning as God's spokesman. This is not Joseph's interpretation. It is God's word. The message from God speaks of two destinies, life or death. This was quite a bold thing for Joseph to say. The dream interpreters of that day would not do what Joseph did. You don't give bad news to your clients. You want them to come back to you, don't you? But Joseph tells the truth, even though it would have been difficult to give and difficult to swallow, offensive even. The message was life or death. That's actually the message of the gospel, isn't it? Jesus himself tells us that today everyone here is headed to either life or death. You are on the narrow path that leads to life, 
or you are on the superhighway that leads to hell. This is not an easy thing to say in today's climate. It takes guts to say to your workmate, if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will spend an eternity apart from him in the place of suffering. It takes guts to say to, to the professing Christian who is caught in sin and won't repent that if you continue on this path, you will face the judgment of God. What a gracious warning Jesus, uh, Joseph gives this man. He had three days, three days to repent and get right with God. What a gracious warning that God gives us, calling us to repent before it is too late. So, Joseph functions as God's mouthpiece, interpreting the dreams. And as we would expect, those interpretations came true. Verse 20, On the third day from then, Pharaoh had a little party, and the cupbearer got his jaw back, and the baker was hung. What encouragement, encouragement this would have given Joseph. God's word prevails. God's word comes true. God does not forget his word. Joseph's dream, too, would come true. But he has to wait. Then thirdly, we see that Joseph is not forgotten by God, even though men forget him. Joseph's hopes have been kindled, even as he interpreted the dream to the cupbearer, because he says to him, Remember me. He's not just saying, Put me in your short-term memory bank, so that in the future days you recall what happened here. No. He's saying, Get me out of this place. Use your position with the Pharaoh to do something about all this. I'm innocent, and you can help me. Please don't forget me. I wonder how many scenarios went through Joseph's mind about what his release would look like after this incident with the cupbearer. Perhaps he imagined the cupbearer comes back and leads him out and takes him into his service. Or Potiphar one day comes to the prison and he gets his old jaw back. Or Pharaoh gives him a royal pardon and he is freed. But day after day, he waits, and no one comes. The fires of hope have been kindled into a flame, but slowly but surely, a flood is engulfing them. Joseph has been forgotten. The cupbearer does not remember him. Verse 23 says it twice. It seems almost cruel, doesn't it? Joseph is going to have to wait another two whole years in the pit. And we can ask, what is God doing here? God has not forgotten Joseph. He is doing two things. Firstly, God is preparing his men. Through all this period of waiting, God is shaping Joseph's character. It's through the school of suffering that God shaves off our rough edges. He burns away the selfishness in our hearts when we face trials. He brings us to our knees to see our utter dependence upon him. You can't learn character from a book congregation. We wish it were so. 
but you learn character in the school of God's suffering. And Joseph, well, he's getting a PhD in character here. Joseph is going to be the second in command of all of Egypt. And God is making him the most godly second in command you can possibly imagine. Why? Because God is preparing him through this. Is that not the way God works in our lives still today? James tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We would look at this two years in jail for Joseph and think it is such a waste for Joseph to sit around in the pit of prison. But God does not waste time in our lives. Everything is preparation for future service. Think of Moses, the highly educated Moses, who had the best education and opportunities money could buy. He spent 40 years in the school of God's suffering, being a shepherd. And we'd look on that and say, what a wasted life. But God was preparing him to be the deliverer of his people. And the only way he could be prepared, and the way we are prepared, is through the school of God's suffering. Isn't this a way that we can look at our suffering? God is preparing us. It hurts, but he hasn't forgotten us. He's preparing us, maybe, to be a bold witness for him. Or, to be able to say no to some future temptation. Or perhaps, he's preparing us for some future work of service for him. God never wastes our suffering. And what is God doing secondly? God delays Joseph's release because he has a bigger plan than Joseph has. I'm sure Joseph thought the plan should be, get out now. But God's plan for Joseph is that he will be used to save the people of Israel. You see, if Joseph gets out of prison now, what's he going to do? Maybe he finds a nice Egyptian girl, gets married and settles down in Egypt. Maybe he goes off to see the world and explore a bit. After all, there's nothing at home for him. Or maybe he does go home and tries to sort things out with the family. And if any of those alternatives came to pass, then he would have missed his appointment with Pharaoh. And he's not going to become governor of Egypt. And he's not going to store the food required to keep people alive through the years of famine. And then, his own family will die of starvation back in Canaan. And, with no covenant people, there's not going to be any saviour coming into this world. And with no Jesus, there is no life for us, only death. Aren't you glad Joseph was in prison another couple of years? Your salvation and mine depended on it. He wasn't a forgotten man. God was just working on a different time frame. That's all too often 
what we don't realize when we feel forgotten by God. We've got a deadline we think God should meet, and he lets it pass. And we think then, he's forgotten us. But we've got to remember, he works on a different time frame to us. Sometimes people talk about island time. You visit the Solomon Islands and you are told the boat will leave at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. And so, you arrive at 9.30. Don't want to be late. But there's no boat. It doesn't get there till 1 p.m. And then they've got to load it. And finally, you get away at 4 p.m. And you get on the boat, muttering under your breath, and the locals can't quite understand why you are upset. Why? Because they are operating on a different time frame to you. They never forgot you. The boat left. You're on it. And so, God does not forget his people. He just operates on divine time. He has far greater plans than you and I can anticipate or imagine. And he asks us to trust him in that. Some of us might get a bit down on the cupbearer and say, how could he forget Joseph? But don't we forget so easily what people do for us? We forget the kind words or meals that people have brought. We forget people's birthdays. Time slowly erodes from our memories the great blessings we've received from people in church life, and all of a sudden we found ourselves saying, these people never do anything for me. And don't we forget a far greater kindness than Joseph did for the cupbearer. <clears throat> don't we forget so easily that Jesus' blood was shed for us on that accursed tree so that we could live in fellowship with him forever? I can prove it. If you remember that, You'd never think that your service and sacrifices for Jesus were so big and your lot so difficult. If you remembered that, you'd never be embarrassed to speak about Jesus in front of other people. If we remember that, this church would be full in the evening service because none of us could ever get enough of saying, Thank you, Jesus. God anticipated that we would be a forgetful people. That's why Jesus himself gave us the Lord's table. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. We are remembering that he died for all the times we forgot him, for all the times we lived as if Jesus weren't the Lord, for all the times we've forgotten to be thankful for what we have. We are remembering that God the Father will never forget us. How could he? He sent his Son to die so that we could be his children. We are remembering the Son will never forget us. How could he forget the agony of Golgotha, where he bore our sins for us? He could never forget. We are remembering that the Holy Spirit will never forget us. How could he? given he dwells within us, pouring the love of Christ into our hearts. I reckon Joseph wished he had someone who could remind the cupbearer, don't forget Joseph.
Don't forget that man in the pit who needs your help. I reckon he wished he had an intercessor with him. Well, that's what we have in Jesus, don't we? Someone who intercedes for us. Interceding for us so that we will never be forgotten at the throne of grace. Do you recall how the thief asked Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that the gospel? In this story, we see Joseph, an innocent man, asking the cupbearer, another man, a weak and inattentive man, to remember him, and he forgets. But in the gospel, it is guilty sinners, such as we are, who have no right to be remembered, who can come to the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the spotless Son of God, and we can ask, remember me, and we can know he will never ever forget us. Do you feel forgotten by God? As if his mind is filled with other things, and you've slipped from it? Hear these words of comfort from Isaiah. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. That's the gospel. And that is why it is the best thing in all the world to be a Christian. Amen.